Well, hey, I want to welcome you here. Uh, and we are excited about the Lord and what he is doing. And one of the things that we love here at Harvest are what we call God at Work stories. And they're just stories from normal people like you and I of what God has done in their lives, how God has done changing things in their lives. Sometimes they are just rejoicing. Sometimes they're so hard and aching in it all. But yet God always comes out like in the Psalms. God always comes out the hero in it all. Um, God at work stories can happen at just times where you're at dinner this afternoon or you're hanging with people. They happen in our small groups as God is just working through people's lives. Uh, We love them when we have baptisms and we kind of have a unique time to be able to see what God has done in the life of people. And we've also watched them by video. We've seen uh, God at work stories done by Harvest, our, our kind of our parent a church up in Chicago, stories that God has done with people there. We've seen them here. And some I think of are Kevin and Susan Duffy and just the uh, situation from some years ago where Susan wrestled uh, seriously with cancer a number of times and just what God done in that whole situation. I think of Matt and Maddie Minnis and how God has brought them to him and to each other and what God's just done in their life over the last years is so cool. I think of our daughter and we just saw years ago her video of her just struggle as a teen uh, back in the day when she struggled with anorexia very seriously and whew, we love got to work stories. And uh, what the Lord has done with that. And it's all to his glory and all to his fame. And uh, I'm bringing all of this up because I want for you to think about today as a God at work story. Um, It's going to be someone you and I don't know real well. But we're going to by the end of our time together in God's word. And today it's a God at work story about a man named John Mark. John Mark. Well, it's Father's Day, and it's really cool because we are starting today a new series through the Gospel of Mark, and we're beginning that here now today, and uh, this series is going to take us through probably at least through January, so we're going to be a good six months plus in this series, and looking forward to that, just so you kind of have a little bit of a glimpse of what's ahead, uh, uh, Lord willing, then after this series next year, we're going to jump into the book of Revelation. We had already gone through the first three chapters of Revelation before moving into this facility. We're going to pick up there, and we're going to take that through kind of in a, I'm going to call it in a unique way. We are going to be keying in on what verse 1 of Revelation 1 says the book is all about. It's about revealing of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be keying in on that, looking forward to that if we're still here, (laughs) which would be either is good. Well, we begin uh, the gospel of Mark. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Now, we're a big, uh, all about the Bible kind of a church. We love them open on your laps for you looking. If you don't have one, grab one from the uh, Bible holders there in the back of the seats. A gospel of Mark, I believe it's page uh, 836 in that Bible that's there. When you get there, well, for you to take a look at the very first page, chapter one, and there's a four-letter word that opens the book up at the very top center of the page, and it's someone's name. What is it? Mark. Okay, Mark. Now, my Bible says uh, the gospel according to Mark. Now, One of the things about this is we are very clear in understanding this book, the Gospel of Mark, is not telling a good news story about Mark, okay? Uh, Hey, listen, Mark, there's a cool story, but it's not about Mark. 
It is about, look at verse one. This is all the further we're going in the book today. Verse one, it says, the beginning of the gospel of who? Jesus Christ. And then it says the son of God. Well, we'll talk about that more because Mark uses term son of God, son of man. It's not just so if you're new to the Bible, it's not the idea that there's God, the father, and then Jesus was like birthed from God, the father. Jesus somehow is less than God, the father. That's not what it's talking about. That's how we see it. But this is a title term. In other words, it's saying he's the Messiah. He is God in the flesh, the second person of the, of the Trinity, God in the flesh. This is the one I'm writing to you about. And I've got great news to tell you about this one. And that's how it starts about. So you may be saying, well, Doug, if this whole book is about Jesus Christ, well, why are we spending a Sunday talking about Mark? I mean, who cares? Well, it's a good question. I'm glad you asked that. And I just happened to actually have a couple of responses prepared for that. Here's one. Because John Mark's story is so cool. Seriously. And it's Father's Day. And I really believe that John Mark's story is going to be a blessing to many of us fathers today. I think it will be to all of us. But especially today with the guys. You got to hear this guy's story. Got to hear this guy's story. Secondly, we're talking about the story of John Mark because I think actually understanding Mark helps us to understand this whole gospel better. Now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. And if you're new to the Bible, I want for you to know it has Mark's name on there. But ultimately, the source of this book is not Mark himself. This is not produced out of the the will of man, but the verse goes on to say, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, now, know this, that what was happening in the recording of Scripture was was not some secretarial uh, dictaphone kind of situation, if you will. Uh, It was not the type of thing where God is like, hey, Mark, I, I, I got a letter I want for you to write. So you got a pen? You know, he's like, yep, got it. Okay, let's go. Here it is. In the beginning, in the, okay, next words. Okay, it, it was not like, say not. It was not like that. It wasn't that way at all. It, it, it was in fact this idea of when we get through the fullness of scripture telling us that what's happening is these human authors, they are writing exactly what they wanted to say. Mark wrote down what Mark wanted to say, but yet in the process of it all, what's also taking place is God is getting down exactly what God wants down. So anytime we open God's word here, we know without question that this is exactly what God wanted to have said. It's fully uh, desired by God. It's fully sourced by God. Yet in the reality of it all, it has also been penned by these individuals. That's why you see when Paul writes and he says, hey, Colossians, I want you to know something. Paul is not saying, hey, God, uh, Paul is writing what he wants. It's fully what Paul wanted. It's fully what Mark wanted. But at the same time, it is fully sourced by and exactly what God wanted to have said. And I'm bringing this up because I think this is such a cool point of how God works. Listen, friends, God could have just taken a book, everything he wanted to have said, and just dropped it here on earth for us. I mean, he, he already, we already saw in the Old Testament they did that in stone. 
with the Ten Commandments, God wrote it. God could have done it. But God in his grace, God in his goodness, God in his jointness of his redemptive plan literally also wants to be able to bring us in on the process. That is so cool about God. And so that's part of why Mark's story is important is because we actually, and I'll go through it with you, I think in the the gospel of Mark, we see the person and the story and the personality of Mark himself coming through. I, I hope you walk out today and see that. Like for instance, I call Mark, the gospel of Mark, the Indiana Jones gospel of the New Testament, okay? Now, that just aged me, okay? Because some of you are like, Indiana Jones, blah. But let me me give you a little history story. Back in the day, when movies were made, movies were a little slower than they are today in their story. Like, for instance, I remember going back and watching Rocky One again, and I'm like, oh, man, yawn through most of it uh, with it. But when Indiana Jones came along, when that movie came on, I literally remember walking out of the theater after watching that movie and going, I am exhausted. I have never seen a movie like that ever again where it's just a bam, 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 action, 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 action with what's going on. And you're like in this story. There had never been a movie like that up until that point in time. And I'll say it this way. That's what the gospel of Mark is like. It's like bam, 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 action, action, action through it all. Uh, Why? Because I think as we go through this in these coming months, you will see how Mark is, I mean this right, I think in a proper way, Mark is less concerned about what Jesus says. He's more amazed by what Jesus did. I'm a visual learner. And probably most of us are today. This is the gospel for you and me. Because what's going to be happening is Mark is going to be going like, get a load of this, and then this, and then this. Bam, bam, bam. Action, action, action. So it's a great book for visual learners. It's also a great book for those of us who live in 2014 American culture. Why do I say that? Well, a couple reasons. Because Mark was writing to Christians living in a Roman world at the time. A few things about their Roman world. Uh, The Roman world was a superpower world. They were living in a country that was a superpower. They were also, as a result of that, living in a country that had known economic prosperity for some period of time now. He's also writing to Christians who are living in this culture of a superpower economic prosperity for a while, a culture that also they just so were caught up in power and prestige and caught up in position and authority. They loved it. They just loved that, kind of like brute strength, position, and authority. He was also writing to a a culture at the time that was all about religious tolerance. You can believe whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to believe, whatever makeup of God, whatever makeup of gods you want to believe, good for you. However, in that day, it was like you could believe whatever you want except if you were a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Now, let me repeat these. Superpower, economic prosperity, power and position was what they worshipped. Religious tolerance, except for if you are a follower of Christ. 
I would argue that is our world right now. My friends, the Bible does not outdate itself. It is so relevant. And this is a a book that is so for you and I. Well, one other important thing here before we get into this God of Work story with John Mark. This gospel is told to us through really almost two eyes, if you will. Mark is penning this down, and certainly the Spirit of God could have told Mark everything he needed to know about history. Uh, Mark was not one of the disciples, so how did he know all about Jesus? Well, he knew all about Jesus because of Peter. And it's been understood for some period of time now that basically Mark is kind of giving the first-hand account of Peter written by him. And so uh, Peter is a source, but also I'll put into it, as we'll see here, Mark did ministry with the Apostle Paul. Imagine being a guy with the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. I think you got some stuff to be able to write about. And so he has a great source of all that. But one other thing, the reason I bring up the whole Peter deal is this. Peter and Mark, there is something very interesting and familiar about both of these characters, Peter and Mark. And I would sum it up in these two words, epic failure. I'm not saying that they are epic failures. I am saying that both Peter and Mark know epic failure. I mean, Peter, before the cross happens, (laughs) Jesus, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Lord, that ain't happening. There's no way I would die for you. No, Peter. You're going to deny me three times. No way, man. And then shortly thereafter, not me. I don't know him. I wasn't hanging around him. I wasn't one of his disciples. And then cock-a-doodle do. Hey, Peter knew epic failure as a follower of Christ. Epic, epic, epic failure. And by the way, we're going to see here in a little bit that so did John Mark. And I'm noting this. When you failed at something, and we all have, we all have. When you have failed at something, you are amazed by how other people do it really well, how they can do it so well. I mean, how does a person do it like that? I tried that and I couldn't do it at all. That's what's happening here. I think Mark and even Peter in their epic failure in doing of ministry, Mark is writing here like, you have got to get a load of this guy. This guy, Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, he did this and this and this and it was bam, 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 action, action, action. And then he went there and he was like amazing at everything. You got to hear about this guy. You got to be amazed about this guy. This is the guy I'm telling you about. And that's the gospel, Mark. And I can't wait till we jump into it next Sunday. But let me tell you a God at Work story about Mark. It starts with the music, and you usually just hear this sweet music in the video, like God at Work, and now we're going to hear about this guy, and all of a sudden we get John Mark. God at Work, the story of John Mark. Turn to Acts chapter 12. Turn to Acts chapter 12. On the screen, this is not actually John Mark. From what I understand, they did not have digital cameras back then. (laughs) but I'm very much the type of person as a visual learner where I kind of need to associate uh, an image with what we're talking about. So I just want for us to imagine that 
This is John Mark. And John Mark begins to tell his story as, as anyone telling their story of how God has been at work at their life. And we're going to read here out of Acts and we're going to come to understand that uh, there are a few things about John Mark that were really quite amazing. Number one, John Mark came from a Christ-centered home, a Christ-centered home. In fact, uh, uh, John Mark came from a home where a church was meeting in his home. And by the way, not just any church, but the church in Jerusalem. I mean, it's like if you wanted to be at any place in time and have a church in your home, bam, I'm telling you, right at that time in Jerusalem, that's the epicenter of everything taking place right now on the face of the earth in God's redemptive work. And not only is it happening in Jerusalem, but it's happening in John Mark's mom's house. Let's read Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 11. This is right after the setting, is right after uh, the apostle Peter is uh, been in prison for preaching the gospel. An angel comes at night, releases him, and we're right at that point, verse 11, uh, Acts chapter 12, and it says, When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of, I mean, listen, if you're in jail and all of a sudden an angel came and like let you out of jail, here's my question. Where would you go first? I mean, just the concept of it, I'd go somewhere really important. I mean, I would not be going to Steak and Shake. I just wouldn't be. I would be like, where's really important where the people are really significant? What represents where the first place I should be going? Look, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. By the way, teens, tweens, it's most likely that John Mark was somehow, somewhere around a teenager right at this point in time. He's a young man. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but that, that's kind of traditional view of that. And I think there's some valid reasons for that. But he goes to his house. It says, goes on with the text, where many were gathered together and were praying. Get what's going on here. Peter is in prison. And here people have gathered at John Mark's house, at his mom's house, and they are all there praying. Verse 13, and he, Peter, knocked on the door of the gateway and a servant girl came. Uh, By the way, probably we get this idea here that that John Mark, his mom, we don't know anything about his dad. It's interesting. Is is this a single mom? Did his dad die? We're not quite sure with it. But but in it here, probably a white collar-ish type of a homestead. It just tells us a little bit more about John Mark. And so he knocked on the door of the gateway. His servant girl wrote it, came to answer, verse 14. Recognizing Peter's voice, she's like, who is it? And Peter's like, it's me, I'm out of jail. And in her, in her joy, she did not open the gate. <laughs> Come on, man. Not a very good servant girl. But how bless her heart, she's so excited. She did not open the gate, but ran in, reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Hey, everybody, what were they doing? praying. Hey, everybody, Peter's at the gate. (laughs) They're all like, well, recognize, I'm sorry, uh, verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. Is is this this us? Oh, God, do a great work. Please, God, do a great work. Hey, God just did a great work. No way. (laughs) Isn't it true? No way God could do that. That's what's going on. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, no way. It's an angel. 
<laughs> but Peter continued knocking. Um, hello. Uh, And when they opened, they saw him, and they were what? Amazed, astonished, I would say. Verse 17, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Here's the point. It happened in John Mark's house. And he was there in that spot being able to see something like that. Are you kidding me? What a blessed dude this boy was. What a blessed situation. That was his home. I want to add to that also the reality that uh, John Mark, as he's telling his God at work story, would be alluding to his blessed home, but also his blessed, he was blessed through relatives. Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. I'm so grateful for Pastor Eric stepping in for me last Sunday and finishing out our study of the book of Colossians. And, and in verse 10, it tells us that Mark was Barnabas's cousin. Now, now Barnabas, we'll we'll see here in a little bit if you're new to the Bible, Barnabas is just the coolest dude. Barnabas is a big dude in Scripture. Barnabas disciples the Apostle Paul. I mean, that's pretty neat. When you are the mentor of the Apostle Paul, ooh, pretty cool. And he was John Mark's cousin. There's a relative. This family is really something special. And I can just hear John Mark in the video against the black screen talking about it and saying, I'm telling you my story. My name's John Mark. And uh, Barnabas, you may have heard of him. He's my cousin. You may have heard about the church in Jerusalem that first began meeting uh, after the resurrection. It met in my home. I knew set up and teardown. I knew what it was to get a house ready for people to come and to have gathering together. Not only that, uh, <laughs> you know that whole incident where Peter gets miraculously released from jail? <laughs> One of the first places he comes is my house. Not because I'm awesome, but because that's what was happening in my home. I saw it all. Now, add to that, First Peter chapter 5, verse 13, uh, I think we pretty much understand that John Mark came to Christ through the apostle Peter. Hey, who, who was the person who was influential in your life? Kind of at that point that you came to drive the stake in the ground to receive Christ as your Savior. Who was that? The Apostle Peter. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. It's just one more blessing in his life. By the way, look at verse 25, the end of chapter 12. One more blessing as John Mark is telling his story. Verse 25, he says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. The story continues. They're, they're heading back to Antioch. And uh, this is about to head out on the first missionary journey. And Barnabas and Saul returning from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. I mean, he has all this stuff. And then he says, and not only that, I got to hang with Barnabas and Paul. I was the third man on the team. Let's keep reading a little bit. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch when they got there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Uh, In other words, preparing for the first missionary journey. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And here's what I'm getting at. And they had John to assist them. 
John Mark. John Mark was on the very first missionary journey. He was, he was the admin assistant. That was his job. And I say that because the word that's used in the Greek there to describe John Mark's position has to do with this idea of back in the day, they called it, it came out of this word, we would say an under rower, an under rower. What's an under rower? Well, they had a boat back in the day that was called a trireme boat, tri, three. That means it had three positions on it. You know, kind of like in the, uh, the Olympics and stuff, you know, where the guy's like, you know, stroke, 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 doing that. Well, it was a three-position boat. The trireme position was the guy who was in the back of the boat. It was the last position in the boat. Why is that a big deal? Because the guy in the trireme boat that they had back in the day, he did not lead. He was not the one calling out stroke, stroke, stroke. He was not giving directions. He had one job. That's it. He just was one more man adding power. And whatever they told him to do, if it was stroke faster, (laughs) if it was slow, slow down, slow down. But that was his job. How perfect is that? What was John Mark's job? Just be there to help. Period. That was it. I'm telling you, I would have loved that position. You don't have to do prep. You don't have to lead. You don't have to put stuff together. You just get to like help and watch. You really don't even get the arrows thrown at you. But you watch it all. I want to seat on that plane watching that situation. And John Mark had that. Are you hearing the story here? John Mark is just building. It's just amazing with what's happened in his home and, and what's happened in all these places with where he's at. But then all of a sudden in the video story, the tone of the music changes. And it's like, oh man, what a cool guy. How blessed is he in his home and all this kind of stuff, his mom and his relatives and all the experiences he had. And he was even on the first missionary journey. How cool is that? And then you go like something's about bad to come and it, and it is. And it is. You kind of come to the heavy point of this story and it's this. John Mark's eyes kind of changed tune from the thrill of it all to, I don't really want to say this. I'm embarrassed to say what I'm about to say, John Mark is alluding. His hands change, his countenance changes in the video camera. And he says, then I quit. And in it, I bailed. What am I talking about? Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 13. They are on the first missionary journey. In verse 13, it says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, Paphos, and they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them. And he returned to Jerusalem. John left them and went home. It's interesting, the, the, the term that's, that's set here, it says left them here in the English. It's, it, it's, it, it's bigger than that though. Uh, turn to Acts chapter 15, verse 38. 
What's going on here? Was, was he told to go home? The term left them, that doesn't sound like he was told to go home. That didn't sound like stop rowing and get out of the boat. Uh, we need for you to do something. It wasn't like run to Walmart for a while and grab some, some food for us for the trip. It, it was like John left them. He jumped out of the boat and he swam home. What's going on? I think we get a sense of how serious this is. Chapter 15, this is actually the setting. We'll read the whole thing here in just a minute, but it's the setting of their, uh, uh, Paul is saying, Barnabas, I think we need to go back now. The first missionary journey is over. I think we need to go back and, and check on those who came to Christ. And, and here's what happens in this moment. Verse 38, chapter 15, it says, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There's a very important word here that tells us a lot about what happened. It's the word withdrawn. The New International Version has it, I think, a little bit better. It has the word deserted. That gives a little bit more feel. Mark bailed on them. The Greek actually has the idea of a really Greekish translation of this would say this. John Mark apostated them. He apostated them. He was in a covenant relationship with them. And he bailed out at the very beginning of the whole relationship. It would be like this. Uh, You get married. You're heading out for a 10-day honeymoon. I mean, the marriage hasn't even really started. You haven't even come home yet from the 10 days. And like day six into it, all of a sudden, the hubby in the situation bails And the wife wakes up one morning and he's gone. I don't mean he's like gone to the restroom. I don't mean like he's gone to get a cup of coffee. I don't mean like he's gone to check out the lobby or he's out on the beach or whatever. I mean he has bailed the whole thing. Can you imagine the hurt? Can you imagine her like, what? Can you imagine Peter or Barnabas and Paul in this situation going, man, I'll tell you, it hurts enough when people leave, but when it's like your own family, whoa. John Mark apostated them. He bailed out on them. And it was so serious that Paul's like, I'm not taking him with me. Well, let's read just that paragraph, verse 36, and get the story. Uh, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John Mark. Remember, John Mark was Barnabas's who? His cousin. Verse 38 that we read, but Paul thought it best not to take him with them as he had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement between Barnabas and Paul so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. This this was a deal. This was a serious kind of a deal. But do know this, this just isn't about, hey, let's go to a movie. No, let's not bring him. No, No, this is a ministry thing. Hey, we need to go back, second missionary journey. Hey, uh, Barnabas says, let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, no, not, no, I don't think that's a good idea. But 
the whole flow of the video got a work story has been this. John Mark's like, man, I just got to tell you about me. I've been blessed and I've been blessed and I've been blessed and I've been blessed. And then the music turns and he says, and then I made an epic, epic failure. Epic failure. In fact, it was so epic that the apostle Paul did not want me to go on the second missionary journey. I think right at this point of the low point of this God at work story, there's a few lessons for us. So let me kind of pull out of the story, talk about a couple lessons right here. Number one, I think in this low point of the story, we come to understand that number one, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. Our choices have consequences. And I bring that up because why wouldn't Paul forgive John Mark and let him come? Well, let me answer that. That's the wrong question. I think Paul did forgive John Mark. In fact, I think it's very clear in all of this that Paul forgave John Mark. Because if Paul would have seen that Mark was still in, if you will, in sin in it all, I'm absolutely convinced that Paul would have told Barnabas, you cannot take this guy with you. And yet in it, uh, uh, I think Paul did forgive him. But listen, sin has consequences to it. And even forgiven sin has consequences to it. It's the type of thing to where trust is not instantly restored when repentance has been given and repentance has been stated and forgiveness is given. Trust is still not back. I mean, parents, you know, with your kids, I remember telling our kids, our son's here. I remember telling our kids, Luke and Emily, we totally trust you guys. Until you guys in high school, until you guys give us a reason not to trust you, we will forgive you. But do know this, you have to, we'll have to rebuild that trust back if that gets broken. Working with couples who have experienced adultery in, in their situations. It's like the, the, the adulterous one may genuinely be repentance and forgiveness sought and, and, and restoration is brought back together. But do know this, trust takes a long time to rebuild. And, and I think that's what's going on here in this. Paul is just like, in it, uh, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about godly repentance. It, uh, godly repentance produces an eagerness, it says, a, a longing, a zealousness to restore back. Not only seek forgiveness, but bring rest or full restoration around. And, and while that's in the process, I think lesson number two comes into why Paul said no right now. And lesson number two is this, doing ministry is hard. And right now at this point in time in it, Paul is in the situation to where he's like, I'm thrilled that John Mark's back on the saddle. But it's so hard, I'm just not willing to bring him along right now. I want to talk on this, doing ministry is hard. And I want to make sure, I need to be very, very clear here as I'm talking about this for a few minutes that you do not think or only think that I'm talking about what I do or what the pastors do or the elders do here in ministry. I am right now shifting into a discussion that is including everyone in this room and knows Christ as their Savior. Dads, I'm talking to you. 
I'm talking about you doing ministry in your home, the doing of ministry there. Spouses, I'm talking to you about you doing ministry with your spouse. Uh, 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 Employees, I'm talking with you about when you go to work or when you go to school and you do ministry there. All of life is ministry, by the way. So I'm talking not about the minister. I'm talking about doing the ministry. All of us here who know Christ in this room, I'm now talking to you right at this moment. And I want for you to know this. Doing ministry, dads, moms, couples, workers, students, ministers. Doing ministry is hard. Being a dad that is a dad for Christ in your home, it is hard. It is heavy. Being a student who's at school and as a student for Jesus at school. Doing ministry is exposing of you and everything that you do poorly. Doing ministry hurts. There are times when you want to quit. As a dad, as a mom, as a spouse. As a student, as a worker, I just want to bag being someone that does ministry for Christ here. I quit. There's times where you wonder if anyone notices or cares. When you serve in the kids' ministry and you serve in these cute little boogers for all this time, and sometimes you just go week after week and you're like, seriously, is this like even making any difference at all? And do you even care? And then I'll say in it, in the doing of ministry, whether it's as a dad or a mom or a spouse or a student or a worker, it's kind of like I would say it this way. Then everybody expects you to be James McDonald, John MacArthur, Matt Chandler. Bear with me. Francis Chan, Mark Driscoll, Tim Keller, D.A. Carson, David Platt, all rolled up in one and you're none of them. That's right. Mom's right. Followers of Christ right at work. It's hard. Ministry is hard. And frankly, that's why most Christians choose not to do ministry in their home or at work or at their church. I'm I'm not chewing you. If you're visiting, please understand that we have a group of people here that serve like no other church I've been a part of. But in the big picture of it all, that's true. 
Doing ministry is hard. People use you. People bail on you. People make you feel disposable. And when it's your own family, your own Christian family, it's even worse. Please know I'm not saying something because of what's going on in my life right now. This is all of us. It's hard, isn't it? Please don't leave me naked up here. Okay? Listen, people are messy. Ministry's hard. Just ask Joseph and just ask Moses and Aaron. Just ask Joshua. Ask Ruth. Ask David and Ezra and Nehemiah and Job and Solomon and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel. Ask Hosea. Ask Habakkuk. Oh, definitely ask Hosea. Ask the 12 disciples. Yeah, even ask Judas. Ask Stephen. Ask Paul. Ask Timothy. Oh, and definitely ask Jesus. It's so hard that sometimes you want to quit. No, I'm not quitting. But I am going to Gethsemane. And Jesus is there. Jesus, God in the flesh. And Jesus is there and he's like, oh, Father, is there any other way I can do this? It's like, God, I don't want to do this. Man, that so encourages me. And yet in it, he brings in this whole thing. I'll term it this way. You can't quit a calling. Father, not my will, your will. You can't quit of calling. I'm just going to tell you, friends, the stats on the bailing rate of people in ministry is staggering. Why is that? Because ministry is hard. It just is. It's not for the faint or the lighthearted. And that's why Paul said no to John Mark right at this point in time. And that's why John Mark bailed. Because it's hard. We're in the heavy part of the story. Lesson one, sin has consequences. Lesson two, ministry is hard. Oh, please, Doug, don't leave it at this right now. I'm not. There's a third lesson, and I want to finish with this. God's grace is bigger than any and all of my greatest epic failures. John Mark's story tells the story that God's grace is bigger than any and all of your and my epic failures combined. The music is coming back up. Why do I say that? Because look at chapter 15, verse 39, the end of it. Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away. He got back on the pony. Epic failure. And yet, way to go, John Mark. Way to go, man. He got back in the doing of ministry. Love that. Way to go, dude. By the way, I'm also going to say how cool is it that Barnabas was willing to take a risk. 
love people like Barnabas. Barnabas took a risk with, the, with Saul when Saul became a, a Christ follower. He took a risk and discipled him. Barnabas became, uh, took a risk on Mark by coming along and bringing Mark along here. Love people like that who are willing to do that. God loves failure prodigals that return. Because his grace is bigger than any of all of your greatest potential failures. By the way, remember Peter is so much of the source of the gospel of Mark. And Peter, I don't know him. I don't know him. I wasn't a disciple. Cockadoodle do. John 21. Jesus comes back, has a little talk time with Peter. Why? Peter, it's time for me to restore you back. I know your epic failure. And I know your failure was like right at the worst possible time ever. But Peter, know this, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, feed my sheep. Oh, friends, I'm just letting us know there's hope in this. Do you feel, do you hear the hope in this? I'm going to add on top of that. With lesson number three here, 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul, later on, Paul says, only Luke is with me right now. Get Mark, bring him with you because he is helpful to me in the ministry. How cool is that? The guy at the one point in time who said, I can't bring him, I can't risk it. It's just too hard, too much is on my mind. I can't wonder if he's gonna bail again. And then later on in life, Paul's, or, yeah, Paul is like, listen, bring Mark because he's helpful to me in ministry. Bam! God's grace is bigger than your and my greatest failures. Be encouraged, friends. And lastly, will you just turn back to uh, the gospel of Mark chapter one? And let's finish here. There's a name at the top of this gospel. What name is it? No way. Because listen, Mark was an epic failure. God doesn't let epic failures write his story. God would never let that happen. Someone who bailed in ministry, God would never let someone like that then later on come and pen down the story, the good news of Jesus Christ. God would never do that. Oh, yes, he does. Friends, we are now entering a book where the story that's being told here is told by someone who knows failure. And what he is doing is he is going to be telling us, bam, 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 action, action, action. Watch Jesus Christ. He did this and he did this and he did this. It's not quite as much about what he taught. It's just like he went there and then this happened and he went there and then this happened and he went there and then this happened. You got to be amazed by this guy. Hey, our failures help us to know who is the one who redeems us from failure. And it causes us to want to tell about him. And that's what this gospel is about. So every story we read, we read for these next six, six months, please, I want for you just to keep Mark in the back of your mind. Can you imagine Mark writing all this stuff? And he's thinking back, I failed. But Jesus is amazing. His grace is bigger than my failure. Rejoice. Rejoice. This morning, if you happen to be someone who's here and 
you are stuck in your own epic failures. You don't need to be. You do not need to be. Do not let your epic failures be bigger than God's grace. You need to let God's grace conquer, consume, overtake the reality of every one of your and my epic failures. And know this, epic failures sit all over this room and God wants to use us and those epic failures for his glory. Boom. Love the story of John Mark. God, I just pray here as we close up and we get ready for this series through the gospel of Mark 1, Lord, I just pray we'd be ready to be buckled up and ready to go because we're going on a wild adventure. Because Mark takes us into these places and these stories where he's so stunned by who Jesus is and what he did. I pray that we get it. God, I pray that you'd help me and the other pastors as we teach through this series that you would help us to bring the stories to life because they're intended to. I pray that we would feel them, that we would see them, that we would would taste them, almost touch them for the reason of getting out of it the reality that in all of these stories, you are absolutely amazing beyond amazing. God, we've talked as a church that I and we are concerned that as Christians, we become very satisfied with Jesus. We become very comfortable that he's this nice English, British speaking kind of guy like we see in a movie. God, I just pray that we would give up the hippie sandaled look of Jesus and we'd come to understand he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Colossians chapter one, he is the one who created everything. Oh God, may Jesus Christ be bigger to us in our minds than he is right now. Grow us, move us, shape us. And Lord, I say all of that, I pray all of that with a bit of fear. but also with a whole lot of excitement. Blow us away, Lord. Blow us away by you, please. And Lord, I just pray if there's anyone this morning who came in just so discouraged and stuck on their epic failures, I pray that the story of John Mark right today, this week, would be the word that they needed to hear from you. Our failures do not and cannot trump your amazing grace. You are amazing, Lord. You are utterly amazing. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.